there isn't a parent who doesn't understand what it's like to to look your child in the eye uh, when they're afraid or when they may not understand what's about to happen and to simply say to your child, trust me, trust me. When you say that, you're saying, I know more than you know. What doesn't make sense to you right now will make sense. And for all that you you may not understand about this moment or you don't like about what's happening or is about to happen, I am here. I will not lead you astray. Now, it's hard to quantify. It's hard to put value on trust. Trust is earned. Trust is proven. Trust can obviously be broken. It's real. And you know it when it's there. And you know it when it's not there. So what you're very comfortable agreeing to with maybe a friend or or someone in your family, you will ensure a lawyer is in place to protect with someone you don't know. And what's the difference? It's trust. Whether you can believe that person and take them at their word, or whether you can't. And that's where the disciples are at this very moment in the book of John. What is it that Jesus wants them to trust him for that they at this point cannot believe is possible? Let's look at John chapter 14. To find out. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Here is what Jesus wants you to trust from this text, that his going to the Father leaves us much better off than if he had stayed with us. Jesus is going to the Father, leaves us, disciples much better off than if he had stayed in this world or stayed with us. And we're going to see that through different gifts that he promises to his disciples. And the first and the one we'll spend the most time on is the gift of the spirit, the gift of the spirit. And that's verses 15 through 24, the gift of the Spirit. So if you remember where we stopped last week, we saw that Jesus has just said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. It's the same Jesus who then immediately says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now we're going to come back to this, but what I want you to see is this connection between prayer and discipleship. Both are bound up with the priorities and the purposes of Jesus, who is at this point obeying the Father to the cross. Jesus will not have anyone come to him to use him for our ends, but to pray and to follow him for his to the glory of God. And he's teaching obedience here within the context of the necessity of the gift of the Spirit. His disciples cannot fathom that his leaving is better than his staying. And so he tells them there in verse 16 that he will go and ask the Father who will send the Spirit, another helper, even the Spirit of truth. So the Spirit comes because Jesus goes and asks and advocates with the Father. His ascension is the next and the necessary stage in his salvation purposes. 
So once he's accomplished his work of suffering on earth, he ascends to do his work of reigning to accomplish all his salvation purposes in heaven. And because the Father gives to the Son all that he asks of him, the Spirit is sent. So the word helper, paraclete, is, I think, better understood as advocate, which is in the NIV, if that's what you're reading. Uh, The word has a legal sense to it. It's, think of it as the legal friend to the defendant. But I want you to notice the word another, because that tells us that the risen Christ is advocating for his people in heaven, while the Spirit is sent to advocate in us, for us, on earth. So Jesus goes to heaven, and the Spirit comes to earth, the spirit of truth. Now, what has Jesus just said to his disciples? I am the truth. So spirit testifies to Jesus, who is truth. Now, if you know me at all, you know I love theater, for better or worse. I always have. And one thing I've always noticed, any performance I've ever been to, is that when, the, when it begins, no one, no one turns around and starts watching the spotlight. No one does it. No, we, we, we watch the one the spotlight is focused on. And that's what the Holy Spirit is like. He's always pointing us to Jesus. He's done this in the scriptures. He's doing that in our hearts. And he does this perfectly well. So the spirit of truth is sent not to bring attention to himself, but to the one who is truth. He's the one who gives us hearts, eyes, and our hearts to see and believe the truth in its glory to perceive it. It's all about Jesus. So one way you can discern the work of the Spirit is to ask who or what is being made much of. Is it the exalted Jesus? Is he being exalted or something or someone else? As Jesus goes to the Father, Spirit comes to earth. Look, look at verse 17, the end of it to dwell with you and to be in you. Now, the disciples are confused in many ways at at this point, but I cannot fathom what they thought when they heard this. They knew that the Spirit of God under the entire Old Covenant had only been seen in a cloud. They knew that there were moments when he came upon the kings and the prophets of, of Israel They had heard and knew that the Spirit dwelled in a particular way and power in the temple. But now Jesus is saying, Spirit will not dwell in the Holy of Holies. He is going to come and to be with and in the hearts of sinful men. 
He's saying the temple will no longer be a place. The temple will be a people. That's what he's teaching. Now, this is a text that a number of our Muslim friends would understand differently. They would believe that the advocate, the helper, is about someone who would come centuries after this. But I I just want you to look carefully and see that can't be the case. Jesus makes clear the Spirit will be with you, his disciples. It can't refer to someone who will be born many, many centuries later. Second, Jesus says it's the Father who sends the Spirit. Now, in the the God of Islam, according to his 99 names, he's not Father. And then finally here, the Spirit points to Christ and brings to mind what Christ has said. So how can someone who disagrees with Jesus, especially who he is as the Christ, be the one that Jesus is speaking about in this passage? The gift here is the Spirit, who with Christ in heaven, remarkably, amazingly, comes to dwell with us. But what else does Jesus make clear? This gift is is not for everyone. The Spirit is given only to disciples, not to the world. Remember in John's gospel what the world is. It is the organized system of rebellion by fallen human beings. So this world, we learn, is opposed to Jesus on earth. It's going to oppose Jesus in heaven, even as he's enthroned there. And this world, verse 17, cannot receive the spirit of truth. It doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. So Jesus is distinguishing between the disciples and the world. Did not receive Jesus. They will not receive the spirit of truth. So why is this world confused or in conflict with the one who is the truth? Because very plainly, it's filled with people who do not have the Spirit. Jesus wants his disciples to make be discerning in the world. We want you to be discerning when it comes to sound teaching. Always ask whether the teaching or the teacher is clarifying or distorting the truth about Jesus. Do they say that he's less than the son of God? Is the teaching about you coming to Jesus for your own ends or for your own glory or even for your own physical prosperity? Or do they tell you, do they call you as Jesus did to come to him for his to take up your cross and die. Those who do not have the spirit of truth will not tell you the truth about Jesus. You can imagine what the disciples were thinking as Jesus was was teaching this. What about you, Jesus? We want you to be with us. So what does Jesus say to assure them there in verse 18? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And this is the second way that Jesus teaches that the Spirit is the gift. The Spirit brings to us the presence of the risen Christ. This is the second subheading under the first point. He brings to us the presence of the risen Christ. What does that mean? 
Well, first, when Jesus says, I will come to you, I do think it immediately means he will come to them after his resurrection. He did that. He came to his own. He spent time with them. He ate with them. And think about the fact that he came exclusively to his own. It is very surprising to me that Jesus didn't take a victory or a vindication lap. They didn't go see Caiaphas, Pilate, all the people who had wronged him and say, I'm back. He clearly understood their role in his redemptive mission had been played. And so he makes this point to come to his own, as small as they were, as weak as they were, to, in one sense, show them how treasured they were by the risen Jesus. And he came to his own after the ascension. And he did that by the Spirit. This is not just limited to the period after the resurrection. He he comes after the ascension because it's by the Spirit that the risen Christ goes global. For a long period, the Spirit is present, particularly in the temple. But now, as God's Spirit-indwelled people make the risen Jesus known to the world, the temple spreads throughout the world. By the Spirit, the presence of the risen Christ comes to his disciples so that in a little while, verse 19, while the world will see Jesus no more, the disciples will see him. Disciples see him after the resurrection and after the ascension. The world does not. How is that? By the Spirit who gives us the eye of faith. We are a people certain, and Caleb taught about this in the class earlier, of what we do not see, of what we have confident hope for. Why? Because we know the Spirit has opened the eyes of our heart to unseen reality. C.S. Lewis captured this so well when he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. In the place of Christianity, you could substitute the risen Christ. We see him by faith and we see everything else by him. Friends, how is Jesus Christ with us until the end of the age? By the Spirit. And if that is true, you and I have more resources for faithfulness and risk than we can imagine, than anyone who doesn't have the Spirit. I wonder as you sit there right now, if there's something you're afraid of, something that worries you. Now think of all that is yours because you have the Spirit. Just as you bring to mind your worries, bring to mind what you know to be true because the Spirit of truth testifies to it. And then resolve to believe that. To neglect all that is yours with the gift of the Spirit would be truly like a soldier going into battle and making use of none of his armor. Friends, you have the Spirit. 
And notice it's not just the person of the risen Christ that the Spirit gives to us, but his power. End of verse 19. Because I live, you will live. Of course, he means bodily resurrection. But before that, he means resurrection life as we're born again. Jesus teaches here about life being brought about by the power of the Spirit. So even though there in verses 18 through 24, we don't see the word, the Spirit, he's ensuring everything there. Jesus is laying on top of one another more and more privileges. So the person of Christ, the power of Christ, and the knowledge of God and communion with Christ. Knowledge and communion. Verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Only possible by the indwelling Spirit. But there in that day, verse 20, I take that to be the day in which Jesus ascends to the Father and gives the Spirit. The disciples will not just know truth, facts about the Father and the Son, but communion with the Father and the Son. So he's saying that the life that the Father and the Son know together becomes the eternal life, the kind of life that you will know and experience. I want you to see the glory of this. The church father, Augustine, describes uh, the spirit as having from all eternity, having worked as the bond of love between the father and the son. The spirit is the full expression of love between the father and son. And in salvation, you're being swept up into this relationship. And as we know this love, It empowers us to love each other, to love the world as Jesus has loved us. It's spirit who at the end of verse 21, as he mediates Christ to us, causes us to know the love of the father and the son. And it's by knowing that love, being a recipient of that love, that is the context for what Jesus says in these verses repeatedly in different ways. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Notice he says it there in verse 21. He said it in verse 15. And he'll say it again in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Which again, he connects to the love of the father. My father will love him. Notice. That's the answer to Judas, not not Iscariot. Obviously, it's an unfortunate name. To his question in verse 22, how will you manifest, show yourself to us and not the world? And he's saying, you're going to discern this. The world's going to discern this by your obedience and love. So within the family of God, Those who keep and obey Jesus' words are those we affirm love Jesus. Be clear about this. This is not the cause of the indwelling spirit. It's the fruit. 
of having the indwelling spirit. It's not the condition for the spirit to come. It's the attribute of the spirit's coming. Now, what has John been emphasizing all the way to this point in this gospel? He's been emphasizing the love of Jesus for his disciples. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus has demonstrated his love for his disciples by washing their feet. So notice it's not until this passage, after all of that, that Jesus now begins to speak of his disciples' love for him. Those who will be indwelled by the Spirit will love the Son who was anointed and empowered by the Spirit. It's only those who have the gift of the Spirit who will want to obey Jesus. So when he calls for obedience, Jesus is not laying on you a legalistic demand. He's not putting on you a heavy burden to carry. What he's doing is he is teaching you the outworking of love and freedom and what it will look like in this world that is hostile and seeks to enslave. And he says it's obedience to himself. That's how we discern who loves and follows Jesus, who has the spirit. We care about someone's true confession. We care about faithful, not perfect, faithful life. And he wants his disciples, you understand this, to be able to discern who is and is not a disciple. That's why we have a responsibility here together. Every local church must affirm who are true disciples, who are not. So we do this together in membership. We do it in discipline because we want to glorify Jesus and guard his reputation, his name in this place. Now, some of you, when you, you hear a command like this, it perhaps gives you angst. You immediately begin to look within yourself. But this should cause you to look more at Jesus Christ and his sufficiency. It's as you know more his love for you that you find in yourself more love to him. It's as you know more his love that you find yourself making progress in your fight against sin and your sanctification. Don't try to summon the strength to love Jesus. Look at Jesus. Ask the Spirit who testifies to you of his love to give you more and more understanding of his love. That's how you grow in love for Jesus. So for some, as you fight sin, pray that you would understand more of Jesus' love for you, of his glory and his majesty, so that your sin will be shown to yourself as it is. We discern who has the gift of the Spirit by who obeys Jesus. This world twists, denies, it ignores what Jesus has said. And yet following Jesus means faithfulness to Jesus. Notice that Jesus makes very clear in verse 24 how to discern who's of the world. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, which are the very words the Father gave to Jesus to say to the world. So two different communities in the world, two different loves that mark the communities, one united by the Spirit, 
in obedience to Jesus, the other in different forms, united by some other spirit in opposition to him. I don't want to leave this glorious teaching without thinking about this final aspect of the gift of the spirit, the comforts and the privileges of the spirit, the comforts and the privileges of the spirit. So already to this point, Jesus has told the disciples, the spirit will be your advocate. He's going to give you resurrection life. He's going to literally bring to you the presence of the risen Christ. He's going to bring you into experiential knowledge of the love between the father and the son. But I want you to see what else. Verse 16, by giving this other helper or advocate, the spirit is with you in you from verse 17 forever. Jesus Christ does not give cheap gifts forever. When God the Son left the glories of heaven, he took on humanity forever. And now the Spirit is being sent not for a brief stay, but within his people, redeemed humanity forever. Wonderfully, we are stuck with the Spirit. And he is sealed to us forever. He's not going to quit his work. We maximize the temporary. We minimize what is forever. There is enough truth in that word to calm you in your greatest crisis or conflict or chaos. If the spirit of the risen Christ isn't going anywhere, be confident that the risen Christ isn't going anywhere. The indwelling spirit eternally united to father and son means the triune God will not lose you. He knows where you are. A few years ago, uh, a Malaysian passenger plane simply disappeared from the sky. Do you know about this? Remember this a few years ago? The whole world was stunned by this. We have radars. We have sophisticated technology. This wasn't a stealth plane. It was a passenger plane and it disappeared. And you can search the internet. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories. Some people think they're still alive. We can, in this world, with all the technology that we have today, somehow lose what no one thought could ever be lost. And yet, not now, not ever, will one of Christ's sheep be lost. Do you think the risen Christ could ever lose one of his own who has his indwelling spirit and he doesn't know where we are. We will never fall off the radar. The father didn't send many spirits. He sent one spirit to indwell many people. And if the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always and always will be united in all of their purposes and work, they're not at cross purposes now. Father, Son, Spirit, have you. Know your boundaries, working for greater good in you than you can fathom. And if that's not enough, 
Look at verse 23. We will come to him and make our home with him. So that word for home is the exact same word that Jesus used about the rooms in his father's house back in verse 2. A home for the disciples being prepared in heaven. But by the Spirit, Judas is told his own heart, each disciple's heart, will be a home, a dwelling place for God on earth. It's not just that Father, Son, and Spirit bring us to where they are, but by the Spirit, they come to where we are. By the Spirit, God comes to dwell with us. And by the Spirit, we are sure that one day God will bring us to that place and day when we will dwell with him and we will be in that new world that the Son has gone to prepare. Don't underestimate the gift of the Spirit mediating the presence of the risen Christ, God himself, to you forever. The world takes much from us. It cannot take the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit. Secondly, I want us to see the gift of teaching, the gift of teaching, just in verses 25 and 26. Jesus has been misunderstood in this gospel again and again by the world, by the disciples. They don't understand the cross at this point. And he's been speaking, verse 25, while he's been with them, he's been speaking of these things, of his own departure, what he will do when he leaves and the spirit whom he will send. And in verse 26, Jesus says, the father will spend the spirit, spirit in my name. So Jesus came into the world in the Father's name, and the Spirit comes into the world in Jesus' name. Jesus was the emissary of the Father. Spirit will be the emissary of the Son. An emissary is a person sent as a representative. Normally, we think of it as a diplomatic representative on a special mission. So if you're from a Roman Catholic background, this is why the spirit, not the Pope, is the vicar, the representative of Christ to the world. And the ongoing work and witness of the risen Christ depends on the spirit coming to teach, to bring remembrance to the disciples. That's the you there, the disciples. He'll be the apostles. And what's he going to do? He will teach. How will it be that these disciples who misunderstand much at this moment will come to clear understanding, teaching of the Spirit? The Spirit will not just help the disciples remember. The Spirit will bring full clarity and understanding so that they can grasp the significance, the meaning of the events and the teaching of Jesus' life. Now, this text has major implications for our confidence and understanding of Scripture. What the Spirit teaches the disciples is what's written in Scripture. Does the Spirit leave anything out that we need? No. He'll teach you all things that Jesus has said. So that's why we believe that what we have in Scripture is authoritative and final. We're not waiting for, we don't expect, New revelation. 
If we were, it would undermine what Jesus is saying here in verse 26. So the Old Testament, written by men, carried along by the Holy Spirit. This text helps us by implication understand the New Testament, written by men with the same Spirit, as the apostles will unpack the full witness of the teaching of Jesus for us in this age between the resurrection and return. So one of the the great errors that's often made by even Christians is that we separate the teaching of Jesus from the rest of Scripture. Jesus didn't do that. So I'm not calling you out at all if you have a, a what's called a red-letter Bible. You know, they're the Bibles where the, the words of Jesus are in red letters. And what that can mean if we're not careful or indicate is that the, the words of Jesus are more authoritative than the rest of the Scriptures. They're the red-lettered words. But all of the words of Scripture point to Jesus. In the Old Testament, it points forward. And in the New Testament, it points back. Jesus is teaching disciples that the Spirit will give to them so that they can give to the church the full deposit of truth. The Spirit inspired the Scriptures. We ask the Spirit to illumine the Scriptures, to give us understanding of what's in the deposit. One very clear application from this is to stop looking for new revelation from God. Start laboring to understand all he has said in scripture. Are you always looking for something new as far as revelation from God, something direct just to you, private? You waiting for God to tell you very directly where to work or who to marry? something fresh about who he is, in the scriptures, you have the trustworthy deposit. You have everything, as Paul says, you need for life and godliness. Believe what we sing. What more can he say than to you he has said? Ask the Lord by the Spirit to make you wise and to grow you in your understanding of his word and to give you guidance, yes, in the various circumstances of your life. The risen Christ has sent the Spirit on a special mission, and the Spirit has not failed. We have the Scriptures to stand on, to live confidently on. After his ascension, the Spirit came in Jesus' name and taught the disciples everything we need for faithfulness, the gift of teaching. Finally, the gift of peace the gift of peace. There in verses 27 through 31. This is the chapter that begins so famously with Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled. He says it again in verse 27. And he adds, neither let them be afraid. How can he say that? He can say it because he's giving them the gift of peace. Not just any peace. Jesus says in verse 27, my peace, not like the peace the world gives. What kind of peace does our world give us? Peace that doesn't last. Peace that's broken so easily. Right now, you and I both know that wars are happening. Conflict threatens. Governments know conflict with their populations. Populations know conflict with themselves. 
The peace of the world is so often achieved by the sword. The peace Jesus will bring will come not by slaying others, but by being slain. His disciples probably thought he would bring the sword. He suffered wrath and hostility and the hatred of this world as it crucified him on a cross. And yet here's the strangeness, the paradox of peace in the Christian faith by willingly subjecting himself to the world's wrath, which is sinful and wicked and unrighteous. Jesus substituted himself for sinners under God's wrath, which is holy and righteous and good. And by doing that, Jesus Christ accomplished peace for enemies with God. Do you know this peace? Jesus came into the world for his enemies who had rebelled against God, not to kill, but to be killed, to be conquered on the cross, to accomplish salvation. And by repenting, turning from the way in which you're walking and believing on and in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God and be given the gift of the Spirit. Do you know peace with God? Through Jesus, you can. Don't think of this peace in in trite ways. Only the God of peace gives this peace. It transcends human power and understanding. It's the peace that characterizes the messianic age. Peace that will characterize the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus' disciples know the joy of objective peace with God through the subjective witness and presence of the Spirit. Jesus promises peace. And that's the context for Jesus saying in verse 28, if you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. How can they rejoice that he's leaving? Much let it less be a, a test for their love for him. Well, they could rejoice if they could simply perceive that he's going back to where he belongs. If they could perceive that in that world, in that realm, he belongs where his glory and the Father's glory are seen and treasured. That his going there is the right climax, the right next stage in his work for coming here in the first place. Why does he say the Father is greater than I? He is not saying that the Father is more God or that he's God and I'm not. He's already taught clearly that he is God. He says that in the sense that Jesus was the one sent. I also think there's a sense in which the Father is greater when Jesus is in his incarnated state because he dwells in the greater sphere where his glory is seen and and apprehended. But Jesus is going there will be to bring about his glorious purposes and salvation. Because Jesus is clear, he doesn't have much time left in this world. The peace of Jesus is necessary because this world is hostile. And this world is ruled, notice, by Satan. The ruler of this world, verse 29, is coming. Jesus is clearly teaching that so many human beings unwittingly serve Satan. And that Satan has entered Judas. He's already set the trap that 
brings about the cross. But Jesus is clear. He has no claim on me. I do as the Father has commanded so that the world may know I love the Father. How is it that Jesus will be vindicated by the world? The cross. As he obeys the Father, as he demonstrates his love as son for the Father. There will be many after this moment who by grace will see Jesus in his glory on the cross and trust him. But there will also be many who will only see the glory of the cross on that final day when they confess as someone as a conquered foe that Jesus is Lord. See his glory in the cross now. For there are only ultimately two types of people in this world. Those who saw the glory of the cross in this age and all its wisdom and those who didn't. Ultimately, the cross, brothers and sisters, will be seen for its victory and not for defeat. And if God's purpose has prevailed in the cross, will they not prevail in our own lives and the crosses that the Lord calls us to take up and carry? We have peace that was achieved by the cross. In this uncertain world, a Christian who has often no other worldly reason for it is the one empowered and dwelled by the Spirit who gives us a confidence and a certainty. Do you know opposition for your faith? Do you know worries right now because you are a Christian? Those troubles will never take away from you the peace you know with God. The cross has won for us what no power in this world can. The cross assures us that this world can only further Christ's purposes. It is good news that Jesus Christ has gone to the Father. He has not left us as orphans. We have the Spirit. We have the Spirit's teaching. And we have the gift of peace.